Good morning. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 1 will be our text this morning. You know, one of the things that has changed the most uh, since I started preaching every Sunday just a little over 10 years ago is it used to when I would get up in front of a church and say, all right, everybody open your Bible to whatever the text was for the day. Uh, everyone would pull out a physical Bible and start flipping through pages. You could hear the rustling of the pages uh, as everyone was turning to the Scripture for that day. And now you don't hear nearly as many pages turning. Okay, now half of you pull out your cell phone and immediately go to either an app or a website or somewhere else where you will read the Scripture digitally. Or quite a few of you don't do either of those things because, well, what I tell myself at least is the reason you don't turn to a Bible at all is because you know I'm going to put the Scriptures up on the screen anyways. Okay, so you don't really need a Bible in front of you just to see the Scriptures because we'll have the Scriptures projected in church. All right, so let me ask, how many of you, when I said turn to whatever, uh, pull out a physical Bible and you still are like me in your old school? Okay, uh, and then how many of you pull out a digital version in some, some sense? All right, we're about half and half. Okay, I won't ask how many of you don't turn to anything at all because I don't want to know, and that's all right. All right, with any change, uh, there are pros and cons, right? And I'm not going to be the, the old stick in the mud that says, well, you know, if a slimline NIV was good enough for Paul, that ought to be good enough for everybody, right? You know, I like that anywhere you go, uh, you can have a Bible with you since we have them on our phones, I like that you can compare translations on the fly. I like that you can look up passages very quickly by just typing a few buttons. I also like that you don't have to spend a whole lot of money on a Bible anymore. If you have a phone, you have access to God's Word. I think all of that is extremely good. You know, what I miss, though, is that there's something to be said about holding a Bible, holding the Word of God in your hands. Yeah, I remember as a kid, uh, my dad had a big, thick black Bible. My mom had a smaller one, and it was a brown leather. Both of them were leather-covered Bibles. Those were the only leather books I'd ever seen in my life. Okay, I thought the Bible must be the biggest book ever written. I knew it was special. Okay, I remember seeing my parents reading the Bible. Okay, I remember them reading it to us as kids. And it was important. It was true. I was taught that you always respect the Bible. Okay, this is not a book that you just casually throw in the back of your car. This is not a book that you even set on the ground. Okay, you treat your Bible with respect. Why? Because it's the Word of God. And I think it's a little bit harder for us to get that same sense of weight, that same gravitas with the, the phone app that we have. Okay, but regardless of how you choose to read your Bible... As followers of Jesus, okay, whether you're stuck on the physical Bible like I am or if you've embraced the digital revolution, okay, we recognize this is the Word of God. This makes claims on our lives. We know that if we want to be followers of Jesus, if we want to have success in what we do, if we want to be transformed more into the image of God Almighty, then we have to be devoted to this Word. We have to follow it. We have to be the kind of Jesus people that it describes. Okay, all that brings us this morning to the end of James chapter 1, where James will tell us several things about how we, as followers of Jesus, should better learn how to approach this Word of God. Okay, notice what he says starting in verse 19. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. All right, there's two extremely important, uh, two related issues that James brings up here in these two verses. Uh, We don't initially see it, but I think both of them are related to how we approach Scripture. Right, in the first place, you see James warns us about the importance of listening, right? He says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Okay, and then somehow that issue of being a good listener is also related to us avoiding anger. Okay, why those two things? Okay, what does listening and anger even have in common? And what do either one of those things have to do with how we approach Scripture? I think James will answer that for us here in a moment. Uh, But I read an article the other day. It was on a psychology website. So again, since it was on the internet, this must be true. Okay, but this, this particular psychology website had an article on the habits of lousy listening. Okay, things that lousy listeners do. And I think James would agree with all of these things. I don't know. You tell me what you think, all right? But here's number one. Lousy listeners are attending to other things when you are speaking. In other words, you ever talk to somebody and they can't look you in the eye because instead they're too busy looking at their phone or they're looking at a TV screen over you or they're scanning the area around them looking for who they're going to talk to next? Okay, that's lousy listening. They attend to other things. All of us think we are better at multitasking than we really are. All right, number two. Lousy listeners are planning how they will respond even when you are speaking. In other words, I can't devote my full brain power to listening to the story that you're telling me because I am way too busy thinking about the next thing that I'm going to say to you, right? I don't really care what you have to say to me. I care a whole lot more about what I need to say next. I see a few spouses kind of elbowing each other. That's not really the point of this, but that's okay. All right, number three. Lousy listeners steal the ball. In other words, if I'm in a conversation with you and I say, oh, I have this great story to tell you about my cute little kid and here's something funny that he did, okay, what a lousy listener will do is pretty quickly get you through your story so that they can immediately tell a story that they want to tell about something cute that their kid did, right? They have to be in control of the conversation um, and so they often will steal the ball in a conversation. All right, number four, lousy listeners change the subject before you are ready to do so. In other words, I wanted to talk about cute kid stories and struggles with parenting, right? You didn't want to talk about that, so pretty quickly, if you're a lousy listener, you'll change the topic to something you wanted to talk about, right? Did you know college football is coming up soon? Or did you know this is going on at work around my house, okay? And you will change the conversation. Lousy listeners are quick to change it to a subject that they really want to talk about. Number five, lousy listeners hurry you along. And what I mean by that is that oftentimes... People who are not good at listening uh, will give both verbal and nonverbal cues, things like looking at their watch or continually kind of rolling their eyes around, things like that, to try to get you to move along what you're saying a little bit quicker, okay, because they don't really want to listen to what you have to say, right? Number six goes right along with this, that is that lousy listeners have lousy nonverbal skills, okay? The best listeners maintain eye contact while you're talking. Right? The best listeners will smile at you and nod and make appropriate, you know, uh-huh, yes, yo, great, you know, and then do those kinds of things, right? All of those not completely verbal things that show that someone is really 
paying attention. Bad listeners don't do that very well. A lot of times you can tell a bad listener because they'll get that glazed look over their face, right? Okay. Most of you are thinking about someone right now, aren't you? Okay, just, just, all right, number seven and finally, and this is my favorite, uh, lousy listeners are quick to offer advice even when it hasn't been asked for. Okay? Preachers do that too, but that's a whole nother, whole nother thing. Okay? But lousy listeners often have really good motives. They really do want to help you in the conversation you're having. Okay, but what they tend to do is offer advice even when you haven't asked for it, even before you have fully explained what the problem is. Okay? Um, sometimes this can be a little gender-specific. A lot of times husbands are worse at trying to give advice to our wives when she's in the middle of telling about something that's going on in her day. She didn't want your advice at all. She just wanted you to sympathize with what she's talking about, right? All right. Seven habits of lousy listeners. Now, I think if nothing else, uh, this is something that most of us can work on. I think most of us could do with working on our listening skills. People will like you better. You will have a greater impact on other people's lives if you can develop good listening skills. Okay, it, again, James tells us what? We should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And then he relates it to another thing. He says, and slow to become angry. Okay, again, we'll talk about how those are related in a moment. Okay, but first, I think we need to talk about anger. Uh, I read an article on a different psychology website, uh, and this particular guy categorizes four different types of anger. Again, I think there's nothing special about these four types of anger. I've seen other people divide this up differently, but this particular list of, of different kinds of anger made sense to me, four different ways that we tend to get angry, right? Number one on this list is aggressive anger. In other words, if I want to get my way about something and I know that if I get angry, you will back down, then I might use aggressive anger as a way for me to get my way. Okay, any of you ever been in a meeting where there was somebody that was pretty reliable about if they didn't get their way, they would get angry, knowing that the rest of polite society would back down and let them get their way? Okay, uh, It's quite natural for toddlers to act like that. Unfortunately, some adults never grow out of it, Right? And we use anger as a way to try to bully their way through situations. That's aggressive anger. Okay, number two is defensive anger. Okay, this is the, the fight in your fight or flight response, right? When you have a threat that you perceive in your environment, you will either run away from it or you will fight it. Okay, this is the primal lizard brain kind of stuff. Okay, often when you are afraid, your fear will manifest itself as anger. Right now, this is a good thing if there's a mugger that's backed you into a corner, right? Okay, you want to be able to respond with a good fight or flight response to that. Okay? This is not a good thing when your spouse has brought up something that you have done wrong. Okay? And your initial thing is to either flee from that or get angry about it. Okay? You're feeling defensive, that can bring out anger. Okay? None of us would do that, right? But we've, we've heard of other people maybe that, that might have responded that way. All right, number three is outraged anger. Okay, in other words, if you steal my car, I'm going to get mad about that, right? Why? Because you have done something that has hurt me, and so that will have a response in me of anger. Okay, now, the interesting thing about outraged anger is it doesn't have to just be somebody's done something against you. 
In other words, if I read an article in the newspaper about how drug lords in Central America are selling drugs to little kids on the streets, that can promote in me an outraged anger. I can feel angry. How could they do that just for money when it's killing kids? Even though I don't know anybody in Central America, right? That has nothing to do with me or my life, but I can feel outraged anger at something that's happening just because I read about a situation that makes me say, hey, there's an injustice going on and that's not right. Okay, anytime you're finding yourself saying that's not what's right and you feel angry, okay, that's this outraged kind of anger. Does that make sense? All right, fourth kind of anger okay, is frustrated anger. Okay, if you've ever driven on 85, you know what this is, right? Okay, I've got to be somewhere in 15 minutes. All I see in front of me is a sea of red brake lights, and I'm not going to make it in time. And then some moron cuts me off. What do I feel? I feel anger, justifiably, right? Okay, if you've ever had a toddler, and you put them on the potty for 20 minutes, and they do nothing, two minutes later, their pants are wet, you know what frustrated anger looks like, Right? We've been there. All right. So what's the connection between the three things James lists in these couple of verses? What's the connection between listening, avoiding anger, and the word of God? What do these even have to do with each other? I think he gives us the answer in verse 21. Notice what he says. He says, therefore, okay, the therefore meaning in light of what I just said about listening and anger, he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. All right, if you listen to me say just one thing this morning, let me, uh, let it be this. All right, I think both my anger and my lousy listening What they have in common is that both of them are an extension, are symptoms of my pride. I think our real problem, the real thing that James is trying to get at with us, is pride. When I don't listen well, it's because I'm not really interested in you. I'm not really interested in contributing to your life or giving you empathy. I'm interested in conversations which are about me, or which are about you thinking well of me, or about me getting something out of that conversation. I'm being self-centered. I'm being prideful. If you are quick to talk and slow to listen, you have a pride problem. I think anger works in much the same way. Usually, I get angry because I feel that something is not going the way I want it to. Hey, traffic isn't moving the way I want it to. Or I feel that someone has disrespected me or done me wrong. My pride is wounded and that's why I get angry. If you find yourself easily angered or angered frequently, you have a pride problem. Right now, yes, God got angry. Uh, The prophets got angry. We even read some stories in Scripture about Jesus getting angry. But you notice that when Jesus got angry, it wasn't because people were offending him or upsetting him. Okay, on the cross, the ultimate insult ever given to anybody in the history of mankind, did Jesus get angry at those who were putting him on the cross? What does he say instead? He says, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. When people insulted the pride of Jesus, he didn't get angry about it. Okay, how does Jesus tell us to treat people when they mistreat us? 
He says, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Don't let your pride lead you to anger. What made Jesus angry is when people in power use that power to oppress people who had no power. Okay? So I do believe in righteous anger. I think Jesus was absolutely right to overturn tables in the temple. But I also believe that about 98% of the anger that I experience, about 98% of the anger we see in the world around us, is not anger for the sake of the least of these. It's anger because I feel threatened or I feel slighted or I feel imposed upon in some way. And I think that anger is the human anger James is talking about in this text. I think that is the anger that does not lead to the righteousness that God desires. So what does James say is the solution for us there in verse 21? If you're taking notes, write this down. James says, we must accept the word humbly. We need to be a people like Jesus. We need to be a people who understand the value of humility, which changes the way we read Scripture. It's not enough just to read the Bible. I have to read it with the right attitude. Okay, if I read Scripture from a place of pride, it doesn't do a whole lot for my life. Okay, if instead I learn how to read Scripture with humility, when I take a right posture before God, I'll get angry a whole lot less. Okay, and when I do, it won't be about me. Okay, when I can humbly listen to the Word of God, suddenly my words seem a whole lot less important and I can develop real listening skills because suddenly I care more about you than I care about me. We need to lay down our pride and accept the Word of God humbly. Does that all make sense? All right, don't worry. I know that I've already used most of my time on point number one and I've got two more, uh, but I really can do these two pretty quickly. Okay? All right, number two is we must do the Word. Okay, uh, notice verse 22. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Okay, after we take the right posture and listen to the Word of God humbly, the second step in this is we have to be doers of the Word. Okay, we must do the Word, not merely hear it. All right, the other day, uh, Luke scratched his nose, just the side of his face, just a little bitty scratch, uh, but since he's on two different blood thinners, just a little scratch bleeds and bleeds and bleeds and makes a big mess. Okay, so he had blood all over the side of his face. Uh, When he woke up in the morning, his face was covered in blood. His hair was sticking straight out of the side of his head. And he still had sleep in his eyes. But he got dressed, came downstairs, and was like, hey, I'm ready to go to school. And we said, well, just hold on a minute, right? And the reason he was ready to go to school is because he doesn't care about looking in a mirror. That's the last thing on his mind. Now, most of us, when we wake up first thing in the morning, we might not look quite that bad, but I'm assuming most of us don't look our absolute best first thing in the morning, okay? But what do we do? We look in a mirror. We fix what we see, okay? We fix our hair. We brush our teeth. We shave. We do whatever it is that we need to do to look like we want to look 
before we walk out the door and face our day. Now, okay, obviously some of us have more to work with than others. I get that, right? Okay, but how absurd would it be for us to roll out of bed, look at ourselves in the mirror, and say, eh, we'll just go like this. Okay, and then if we got to work and someone said, dude, did you do anything this morning? Your hair's a mess. What's wrong with you? How absurd would it be for us to say, well, you know, I looked in the mirror. Do we get credit for that? No. No. That's the illustration James is using. He says, how absurd would it be for you to look in a mirror, see the mess, and not do anything about it? We would never do that. No, you look in the mirror, you see the mess, you fix it best you can, and then you go about your life. How absurd would it be to look and not change anything? Okay, James says you don't get anything out of just reading the Word of God. Okay, you don't get anything just by going to church. Okay, who knew the Bible better than anybody in Jesus' day? Okay, it's the Pharisees. It's the teachers of the law. Okay, they don't come off looking so good. Why? Just knowing Scripture isn't enough. You are only a disciple of Jesus if you actually work on doing the things that you read about in Scripture. We, as followers of Jesus, need to be doers of the Word. Fair enough? All right. Uh, Forgive me for just a moment, um, but I'm going to leave preaching and and start meddling just a little bit and and get on a a personal uh, pet peeve of mine. All right, but here's where I think we see this in one instance in our world today. I think social media is really bad about this. I think what we do on social media often is that we rush to go and condemn things that we see that are wrong. And often we're right in our judgment. We say, we'll post an article and say, man, this over here, this is wrong. I see this happening over here, and that's bad, that's evil, and that's not okay. okay. And we do that a lot. But my question is, what are we actually doing to move the needle? Okay, for instance, it's really easy for me to read an article about poverty in the Sudan, for instance, right? There's a lot of people suffering, um, some very dire things going on in the Sudan today, okay? And I can get a righteous anger about that, okay? And I can talk a lot. I can go to Facebook or Twitter or whatever and post about how terrible that is. I can post a bunch of articles online talking about how bad that is, but have I actually done anything to help anybody in poverty, or have I just made myself feel like I've done something to help people in poverty? Is that fair? Okay, it is much easier to post something and feel like you did something than it is to actually do something. In other words, I would much rather you put something in the co-op basket in the back of the church or put money in the well fun to help us dig another well in Ghana, actually do something to help poverty than just to post stuff and get people all riled up about poverty, right? It's not enough to just have the right words. We have to actually be doers. So don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, I've posted a lot of righteous things, therefore I must be righteous, okay? Do the actions that we live out promote righteousness? Are we actually doers of the word? All right, final thought, verse 26. He says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All right, here's number three and final. That is that the word leads to right religion. Right, I think this flows out of those first two points. If we can approach the word of God humbly, if I can lay down my pride, if I will be a doer of the word and not merely a hearer of it, that will lead to right religion. Okay, now, James is not saying that this is the only thing that matters, right? I've heard people take this line before saying, you know, the church you go to doesn't matter. Whether you go to church or not doesn't matter. Whether you take communion or get baptized, all that stuff, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is how you treat people. Okay, I think that is totally missing the point of what James is saying, right? What James is saying is that if we are truly transformed by the word of God, then it will lead us to taking care of these most important things like orphans and widows. Okay, you don't start by just saying, I want to help people. You start by saying, I'm going to be transformed by the word of God. I'm going to become more like Jesus. And that will lead me where I need to go. I think the better listener I am, the less likely I am to get angry. The more control I have over my tongue. I think all of those things lead me closer to the heart of Jesus. Fair enough? All right. As we continue to go on this morning, let us continue to think about how do we let God's word change us? How do I let the word of God continue to transform me so that I can become more and more like Jesus and be more and more effective at spreading his word throughout the world? All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a couple of verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. We would love to have an opportunity now to uh, talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. This song is a chance for us as the church to be here for you. And before we sing that, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.